I, I've, we've tried to jump on and watch on Saturday night, watch their Sunday morning service. But the only thing we know is the music because Kian leads the music in English. And then Pastor Donald gets up and he preaches in Tagalog. And I'm like, I'm sure this is awesome, but I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've had that. We're still trying to figure it out too. So, yeah. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And this episode is a little different. I have some friends of ours who are on the other side of the world, well, from me. They are in the Philippines and they are doing a ministry work there with the Church of the Nazarene as I think their official title is field coordinators, but they work with short-term mission teams that come in from other places to do mission work there. When these mission teams come in, they are working with things that are already established there on the ground. So they're either teamed up with the seminary or a child uh, development center or one of the churches that are already established there. So they're there to work and come alongside of established ministries there and the church that's already uh, at work there to be some extra hands and feet. Kevin and Janet, we met them in 2018 when uh, I took a team to the Philippines. We were just outside of Manila, south of Manila in the Tagalog area. Uh, and so we worked with a sister church there, Faith Church of the Nazarene, and we've continued to do work with them uh, on this side of the globe, even though we're home, support them with our prayers financially, uh, support them as they continue to do important ministry there in their own communities. Uh, and I, I think that this is significant. It's been a significant shift for us here. How much stronger, how much the question uh, kind of kept asking is how much stronger would we be if the East and the West uh, held hands uh, and partnered for the kingdom of God that way? And so what if we take uh, our loaves and fishes that we have, our small amount, and we pair it up with another church uh, elsewhere? For, so for us, it was in the Philippines and see what we might be able to do uh, for the kingdom of heaven when we work together. And so it's been great to see how they have continued to grow and minister in their community. Kevin and Janet are a little bit further north than where we were when we were at our mission trip, but they were the field coordinators there. They had just landed. They'd only been on the ground there in the Philippines for a couple of months. And we talk a little bit about that in this interview. And I really wanted to have them on for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted them to talk about what happened, that God, what God did to call them from California, USA, uh, to move across the world and to plant themselves there and do kingdom work in a foreign country, a country that, you know, they, they hadn't grown up there. They didn't know anything about the culture. So they had to learn everything to go in there and to be able to do ministry and come alongside the church that was already established. So they weren't going in to do new work. They were coming in uh, to partner with them. And then I also wanted them to talk a little bit about what it was like to see the experience, the pandemic in a different place. So most, most of you who are listening are here, either uh, Canada, the United States, maybe parts of the UK, and so to experience it from a different perspective and talk about what, what did the church do? How did the church rally together to minister? The, the pandemic's not over. Um, it's definitely not over for them. They still haven't received 
any vaccine yet. So, and they've already they're already dealing with other strains of the va- of the virus that have come in. But actually, they're doing really well. So I'm just surprised at how well that they are doing there. With and a lot of it had to do with how the church reacted and how the church partnered with their communities in responding to the pandemic. And then Kevin and Janet talk about some of the different ministries that they have partnered with there, in particular Shechem Home, which is helping to overcome online sexual exploitation, or I should say to rescue children out of uh, sexual exploitation and trafficking. And it's, it's something we don't talk about a lot in the church, which we really need to do. It was great to hear their heart and, and what they're doing. And I think, honestly, my first thought was, oh, you know, 15 kids, 20 kids. I know the numbers are so much higher than that. But I had to remember that even one house is making a difference. So for one child that is rescued, you have changed their entire world. And they are changing the world one child at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time with and we hope to see what has happened with Shechem Home be uh, duplicated, uh, not just throughout the Philippines, but anywhere that children need to be rescued from sexual tra- or from human trafficking. Maybe the last thing I wanted to really capture out of this experience is because so many of my guests, the majority of my guests are ministers. I'm aware that more and more of my listeners are lay people. And I wanted you to hear that God calls you, he equips you, he uses you in small and large ways and everything in between for the kingdom. And maybe this would plant some seeds in people's hearts uh, to realize I don't necessarily have a call to be ordained, but God is calling me in a unique way to step up and do something different, to take a risk. And what might that be? And so I, I hope as you listen to this episode that you will start asking God some of those questions, allowing him to really search your heart. Uh, see if he's asking you to step out on faith in some new ways, especially as we are moving further and further out of this pandemic. We're still in it. I always feel like I need to clarify that because there are so many people who think that we are post-pandemic. We are not. Um, Maybe your community is more post-pandemic than others, but there are plenty of places around this world and even in the United States that are still uh, still recovering. Uh, They are still in the midst of the pandemic. It is not, it is not post and it is not behind us. So uh, I want, I guess I want our listeners to keep that in mind because your area may you may feel like you've gotten some relief there's vaccines the numbers have come down uh, the media has stopped talking about it whatever but it's still very real and it will continue to be for the church in other countries uh, for at least another year maybe even two years so it might be a good might be a good time for us to sit down and offer up some gratitude for the advantages that we have here in this country, assuming you're listening from the United States or even if you're in Canada or the UK. So shout out to my friends, Kevin and Janet, and all of my friends there at Faith Community Church. 
Salamat po. Enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Oh, it's so good to see you guys. I wish I could come right through my screen and hug you. <laughs> oh, it's been so good. And you guys just did, you were here back in the States for a little while. Were you we were. doing? Went home in November. Um, we had some family issues. I had some family issues and really wanted to get home. And we felt like we were going to, we usually do go home every year for home assignment, but shorter, you know, like a six week home assignment. Right. But um, we went home in November thinking we'd come back in January and it took us till March till the borders opened back up. So, um, and then we got in and almost immediately after we got yeah. there, they closed the borders again. So. Again. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So you guys are back and now you moved from when we were there, you were in a different place, right? Didn't you move locations? We have had three different locations since we've been here. Wow. And so, I mean, we're in the same town, just three different living. We started on campus and we lived there, but they needed the housing for students at the seminary. And then we rented a place. We sublet from missionaries who had gone home. And then, uh, then they wanted to come back. And then uh, we found this place we're super happy with. So yeah, we're planning to stay here. So everything is good. And we had to do a lot changes. of work to it to get it. Yeah. It looks nice from what I can see. I mean. Yeah, it's big and it's comfortable. We're comfortable. We're thankful to God for it. And you yeah. know, housing is a different situation here. So we're really blessed to, especially with the quarantine, you know, when you're stuck in your house, right? 24 seven. So that's good. Yeah. I saw Pastor Donald. They're like, I think, I don't think they're even having in person right now. I think they went back to. So we were doing better. Like they were, I, I bragged the whole time we were home because the Philippines just was on an even keel, fairly low cases for the millions of people who are here. Right. You you know and how then, close everybody lives here, so. Right. Uh, yeah, now it's on the rise. It's been on the rise and there. Actually, it's, it's taken a turn. It's it's headed back on a downward slope now, but uh, they put us back on a lockdown quarantine. Is this the new strain that you guys are being hit with? That's what they think it is, that it's just more contagious. So it's passing down to more people. And honestly, like out in the provinces on the other islands, they don't have COVID, they're meeting in church. It's, it's just Manila and the provinces that surround Manila. So that are back on Certain the heavy lockdown. Certain of the more populated areas. Yeah. Well, probably any places that have like international airports, maybe? Yes. I believe it, all international flights are coming in only to Manila right now. Yeah. Like they used to go into Cebu, but and, and, uh, but and yeah, yeah, I think it's just here for now. They're really controlling it. Yeah. I mean, we got the, the states got, that got hit first and got hit the hardest are all the ones that have international airports, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And particularly ones that LA. took flights from yeah. Asia, you know, ones that had lots of Asian flights and they had it bad but you guys kind of had it late 
like just in the last couple of months, right? We were looking at the map of the US and it was like, everything is going away except Michigan was like, woo. Michigan has never, like once it, it started really, you know, uh, California, New York. And so it didn't hit us until March, 2020 because we have international airport and, you know, we have, because we have yes. Ford, GM and Chrysler. So we have people who fly to Asia all the time. Yes. Um, and so we got, so then we got hit and then we're in, like we're in Wayne County, which is where Detroit is. So we're so urban and on top of each other. And then, yeah, we just, and then our, like our district, we have three major urban areas on our district. So we just got pummeled. Yeah. Our church in California has been meeting outside since, I don't know, maybe August or September. They were virtual before that, but you know, the ones that are there, it's all the old people, the young people are at home. (laughs) It's like the old people just wanted to see each other. They didn't care if they died. <laughs> but now most of all of them, they're all vaccinated now. So so everybody wants it pretty much, I think, in California has it. So yeah, we're yeah. fortunate we were able to get it before. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. Before we came back. So Because it would take a while. There's a slow roll out here. So it'll be a while till regular people get it. I know. And that's, I felt, I, you know, hearing about the high rise right now, I think India, right, has been hit really hard. You know, we have a long way to go before we're able to get vaccines to all these countries that, you know, and then you get, and then get them into rural areas and stuff. And, and you know, like even the Philippines, right, up in the mountains and stuff, like, how do you, you know, roll out vaccines? Well, they're having, they have very few cases because the president put us on such a strict lockdown at the very beginning. Like, Two weeks after our first cases, he locked us he, down. He like everything. military on the street, you had to have a quarantine pass to leave your house. Yeah, and we had two and a half months of that kind of quarantine where everybody was in their house. You know, the hard part is over 20% of the population here is extreme poverty. In other words, they go out every day to work, to earn enough money to make food, to take home that night to their family. So um, it was a big impact impact immediate impact an immediate impact on on people's lives and fear and what was going to happen and we all kind of thought maybe he you know overreacted but when you look at how our cases have been they it didn't get out to the provinces he shut down all travel between the islands and um you know there was some cases on all the islands but now it's it's just about completely gone. Churches are meeting in those places. The only, you know, it's just the, the metro areas. Yeah. Well, yeah. And when you get out into those provinces, like how are you getting to the hospital? Like it's just. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. even in the urban areas, people don't have resources to be able, you know, you have to pay the hospital bill before you leave. So somebody who doesn't have any money is not going to go to the hospital. And our hospitals right now in Manila area are closed. So it's the same as what you hear and have heard in the U.S. People are dying while they wait to try to get in the hospital because there's just many people for the resources. Yeah. So how are people eating then? I mean, because I do, I know the day laborers and stuff. The fun story is that it was the churches really during those months that fed people. And I, I don't mean just the Nazarene church. I mean, they worked together and our pastors figured it out. 
how do we get online, just like in the US, right? But in addition to that, they had to figure out how they were gonna help their people in their church eat. Um, food packets, rice packets were delivered all over the country. Not just their congregants, but their neighborhoods. Yeah, their communities. And they learned how to fundraise. They learned how to go to the local government units and say, okay, we're putting together food packs. What can you guys help provide? All these and things that pastors aren't comfortable doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> even even uh, we have an island of Mindoro uh, just off the coast here, fishing island. So their people don't have internet. So going online for them was not going to be a viable option. So these three pastors, young pastors planting churches out there, and they started writing letters. So every week they had their sermon in a written letter. They had something for the kids and a food pack. And one of the pastors who had the quarantine pass would go to all 16 families in their congregation and just and deliver it, see how they're doing, encourage them, that kind of thing. Our churches opened uh, almost like stores, except it didn't cost anything where people could come in and get some different produce and those kinds of things. Um, we had all kinds of things. Uh, we have a, a, a large community development center here in near where we are and they just fed thousands of people during this time and got resources and put together their young people put together food packs they, delivered it right. in the community they they put a co-op together and they yeah. actually shipped in food from the farmers and because that was a problem getting food into the urban areas also and and they put together uh workers sewing bags to hold all these food packs and everything. Yeah, it was quite an amazing. It was an amazing thing. That was a, a little later on and, and it was awful because food was rotting in the fields because the, they couldn't get it trucked into Manila. And, and people were, you know, there's food shortages here. People were starving. And so one of our community workers here, he made a co-op. And so then he could legally have produce and things brought into his area so people could buy it at a reasonable rate. The church was an amazing factor in this whole situation. Still is, not was, it still is. That is so amazing. And I mean, it's so beautiful to hear. I mean, I think we, you know, like I, I knew that that's probably, you know, they were figuring a way out, but just to hear that story and how the church is rising up. And I mean, not that they weren't boots on the ground already, but I think we, you know, we forget here, right. With, I'm sure you saw all like the toilet paper hoarding and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yep. You know, we forget that there's people who literally they work, they get paid, they go buy food and that's how they live every day to day. Yeah. in the rest of the world. And then what do you do when you can't go out and work? Yeah. Right. It was a, it was a very scary time. There was a lot of fear. Um, and not knowing what was going to happen, fear. I can remember being in the grocery store. We had these really long lines because you know here most people shop in the marketplace. So we would go to the grocery store, and there'd be these lines, thousands of people waiting in lines, sitting in chairs six feet apart. All of us sitting there, you know, we have our phones in our hand, just waiting hours to get in the market. And I thought that was at the very beginning. There was probably not any COVID anywhere near us, but we were all a little intimidated that we were braving, you know, the outdoor to get to the market and shop. Seven hours, her first shopping trip. <laughs> Seven wow. hours. Wow. But then, you know, the panic 
kind of went away. And and this time, even that we've just been locked back down, they didn't close the open air markets because right. now they know outside's probably better, right? Than being inside a store. But yeah, it's been it's been exciting to see the church at work through it. We've actually had some churches organized um, just in the last yes. month. Uh, three down in Mindanao, I think all three of those were. And then one just north of us here of churches that had been planted and they just kept going through the pandemic and now they're organized and what? a lot of what captured their people is right the compassion that the Nazarene church is known for here so oh man hey will you guys talk about were you you were there when the volcano erupted right yeah yeah but we're like 50 miles away I mean but um yeah, yeah, it erupted. We had a day of like dust and dust and ash, and then the winds changed, so it really didn't impact us too much. The the thing that was impacting was we had a team coming to be down south at the child development center that was very just a few kilometers away from where it erupted. Right. So when it erupted, they didn't know whether they should. It, it wasn't really that far from where you guys come. were. It was yeah, it was close to where you were also. And uh, it did terrible damage. Uh, many people just couldn't go into their homes for weeks and uh, they didn't know how long it would last and it ended up clearing up fairly quick. But Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, you know, disaster relief, we were down there, the local churches, the church actually where we did our work and witness project and many of the other churches uh, in the South T Tagalog district got together and they'd already been doing help, right? Because of COVID, but then they went in and brought lots of water and masks. So masks were a thing. Oh, that was before, that was COVID. before COVID. That was right before COVID. Yeah. They had a bunch of masks, which then they were able to use on the other end when the pandemic started because of that, they had purchased them to hand out. To people who were but there's a, a lot of a lot of ash and and that whole area down there was pretty yeah the, the island for sure was decimated but they're talking about not letting people back on there to live yeah yeah i guess i didn't realize people lived there their whole life mm -hmm. their whole Some life people have never it's a been native on. it's a native group that they kind of see themselves as the caretakers of the of the volcano so their children take a boat to school every day because it's surrounded by water but yeah there was a lot of damage um and and the funny part is is our team you know we were like asking our team that was coming and we said okay the it looks like the volcano is getting better and you could certainly go and work in this area but the pandemic you know was kind it's of in strange. other places and it's like we don't have any cases now but they might come that Pueblo Colorado Church of the Nazarene, they were like, <laughs> they said, okay, we think we're going to come. And so they came and did right their between ministry between the, that two, two disasters volcano. And then like seven, no, like the day after they left, they, we found our first case here and then it was just, it was all over. Right. And then, uh, within, 12 days after that or something we were on a total lockdown but they came they had one heck of a week of ministry and getting to work with a really passionate church that uh, has a child development center and just really ministers to their community so it's really cool 
Yeah, we're the witness people, I guess, are we're committed. We yeah. paid our money. We are going. <laughs> we have teams um, that are scheduled. One was scheduled for this January, one for this June, and one for December. So we moved the January and the December and the June one to next year at that time. And we still have all three of those teams haven't canceled. They just keep contacting me. Do you think we're going to be able to come? And we met with hard, them. Hard to say what's going to happen next week, let alone in six months or a year. <laughs> that's our that's our standard line. But yeah, we're, I'm I'm feeling a little less hopeful for the December January, but maybe the the one that's next June. But they still keep persisting that they're going to come and help those areas. So. We're happy we, with that. We're happy with that. It's an encouragement for sure for the churches here. Yeah, we talked about natural disasters. You know, we had three typhoons last year in four weeks, which was on like crazy. We had flooding, um, just 70% of the housing in some areas was completely destroyed. So we had disaster teams, which is partnerships of the local district and the field office. And they were all over the island of Luzon, down south, and also Bicols, which gets hit by a lot of typhoons. Luzon, Manila area, not as much, but we had some huge flooding. One that even, came yeah. through here and flooded everything out. Yeah, we, even, yeah, that's what I was going to say, our Shechem house, children's uh, home got flooded. We had to evacuate. Hey, oh, okay. So I do want to, I know you guys want to talk about Shechem Children's Home and, yeah. and a couple, and of course, at some point I want to get to Faith, Faith Church, but I want to tell I want you guys to tell your story about how you went, how you, God brought you from California to the Philippines. Well, you know, we're lay people. So Kevin worked in power industry for 30 something years and I'd been office administrator before that I worked for IBM. We did work in witness. We loved it. On the going side. Yes, on the going side. Um, even before we were in the Nazarene church, we loved missions. So, uh, well, I'll tell you, it was really down to one day when uh, I got a call from Kevin. I was an office manager in a real estate company and he called me in the afternoon and said, Janet, we need to talk. Well, if you know my husband at all, that's not a normal conversation in our home because that just, he's not a talker. And so that night when I got home, he shared, he had at that time about a 50 mile each way commute to work. And he just, God was really pushing on him. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to go into missions full time. And I don't even know what that looks like. As we talked, it was, I really felt like, yeah, I think that too. And so because we both agreed on it, we, we really felt like that was confirming uh, we have friends, some who like to go on mission trips with us, but it's not usually both people in the couple. And we really did enjoy that. And so we just started pursuing it with the church, with our friends and our family. We talked to our pastor and everybody kind of confirmed, oh yeah, we could see that. And we thought, oh, that'll be, you know, when we retire, right. we'll go and do that. Sometime in the future. Yeah. But then we began to feel like God was saying, no, no, I really want you to go. You know, nothing is assured. Um, you don't know what your health will be. I want you to go sooner. So we pursued, we did the cross-cultural orientation with the church and, and we felt like we could go in 2018. 
and getting our kids settled and all those things. And so uh, we told the church, okay, we're ready to go. We can be ready in 2018, you know? And we just didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. So it was really a funny, just delays on that end. And one night I was on the computer on Facebook and I saw one of our Lynx missionaries that I briefly met, like I'm sure she had no idea who I was. And I knew she served in the Philippines. And so we had seen an, a job opening for the work and witness coordinator position. And I said, can you just tell me something about that job? You know, and I said, first, I want you to know we're not pastors. Like we have no God kind of gifts, right? So we don't sing, we don't do any of those things. And so I said, but we see this job and we, we think we could do that job. And she was really excited to talk to us. She said, we don't need pastors here. We have a ton of pastors. You know, the church is very established, but we could really use a work witness coordinator. So, and so she said, oh, can I tell my boss? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't even told my husband I was talking to you. But there were some things in what she told because me. Because the time difference, you know, it was midnight in yeah. California. Yeah, he was asleep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, so I said, no, you can't tell anybody I need to talk to Kevin before anything else happens. And the next day I talked to him, you know, one of the things like here, they speak English. So for old people like us, that was really encouraging to not have to learn a language. Um, At least right away. Although we're taking Tagalog lessons, but we, um, there wasn't a pressure to survive. And there were, there were several things here that really made us connect because we hadn't really contemplated Asia. Most of our trips had been South America or Mesoamerica, that area. And so this felt different. Being from California, like the Hispanic thing felt very comfortable to us. Um, and we hadn't contemplated Asia. But uh, we ended up answering back and saying, you know, if, if you feel like this might be a good match, then yeah, tell your boss. So it was really quick after that. They set up a couple of interviews for us and our field strategy coordinator at that time looked at us and looked at Kevin and said, all right, um, how long do you need to pray over this? And Kevin just said, you know, if you're asking us to come, We've been praying for God to show us where to go. So if you're asking us to come, then we'll say yes, and we'll move forward now. See that as an open door. Yeah. We really felt like that was an open door. And seven months later, all our fundraising had come together. Um, we'd spoken at our district uh, assembly, which for us was just about enough to put us over the deep end. <laughs> but we did it. We're not, not upfront people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, which would lead us to a lot of really funny stories from our first home assignment, but we won't go into that. <laughs> but we've been here three years and um, now we sing that song as much as we can to the churches that we go to and here in the churches where we get a chance to share is that God has work for lay people and it's important to notice the various gifts that people have that God gives yeah. and um, raise up, equip and train people to do the work. And um, maybe our pastors would be a little less exhausted, right? 
if we had this idea More that people doing their part yeah that god has work god has work for the lay people and so we're excited to be here and get to participate in the amazing ministry that goes on here in the philippines but we have escorted jobs now so we're philippines micronesia work yeah, and witness so coordinator 50 percent with the the field 50% with APNTS. The seminary. The seminary. Kevin is the, give her your title. You have an awesome title. Facility Project Development Coordinator. Yeah, so he's in charge of facilities. Um, I help like assist the president, those kinds of things, oh, yeah. as well as being work and witness coordinators for the seminary. And 50% for the, the regional coordinators and 50% for the a communication coordinator and we volunteer at Shechem. <laughs> yeah, so we have a lot of fun, different jobs in different parts that we get to participate in. It's super fun. And you guys got there like what, a month before we came or two months before we came. I mean, you had hardly um, been on the ground. January yeah. of 18. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so sorry about that. We just like, we just planned our own work with this trip. And then, and then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, we have new field coordinators there. You should talk to them. So we did everything backwards. We apologize, but we, we were just... training for us and you were a good team. Uh, yeah, we didn't have any open rebellion or anything. So it was great. Nobody got kidnapped. We were excited about all that. Oh, we my word. We talk all the time about leaving at four o'clock in the morning to take a beach trip and how great our team was that they just got up and did it. <laughs> well, the girls are still, they're all like, when are we planning the next one? And then of course, you know, we then COVID. So they're like, so they got a jar and they're like, we're just going to keep putting money in here. And then eventually when it's yeah. full, hopefully the pandemic will be over. So yeah, yeah, we could totally do something, you know, do a ministry trip uh, at one of the child development centers or, or if you want to go back and work with Pastor Donald, I'm sure they have ministry you could partner with down there, you know? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I think they wanted to try doing something, you know, trying another area also, but I'm sure we want to get at least see them at some point, but tell me about what is, cause you said you guys are partnering with IJM and OSEC. OSEC is online sexual exploitation of children. It has been it, it just exploding since 2014. The cases are very high because internet is easily accessible. Uh, of course there's poverty everywhere. Um, children are not valued. Um, God is not known. There's just many reasons. They speak English. English, yes. English can be understood. So young children can take instructions from a computer screen. So, of course, most of the perpetrators on the other end come from Australia, the UK, uh, North America, places of wealth. Over 70% of the time, the perpetrator on this end is a family member or a trusted adult for the children. Um, the Church of the Nazarene, we've been partnering almost since the very beginning. Of course, that was before we were here and we would do awareness. Right. We're just getting our pastors to talk about it in their churches, because what do we all do? We, we say, I don't want to know about that. Right. I don't want to know that happens. It's a don't. hard thing to know. We, you know, it's just been a hard thing to open up for the country, really, and say, OK, we're willing to know. We're willing to know that this happens and what can we do to help? 
And so the Church of the Nazarene has been involved in awareness in schools and some of the hot spots our young people would go and just talk about what it is with the fourth, fifth graders and, um, and do drama and do different things to try to be able to just make them be more aware. Training for the teachers to let them know kind of what to look for in kids and things that maybe yes. this may be happening with, so. Yeah, so that was a huge part, but our FSC at the time, he started to feel like we are supposed to do more as a church. I mean, we're doing these things, many, we have huge meetings of churches, all different churches from the Philippines meeting to pray over OSEC and raise awareness and do all these kinds of things. But we, um, he came and said, what more do you need, you know, to international justice mission? He said, what, what else could we do? You know, we're trying to think of how we can go to the next level of support. And so we were told at that time, there's no assessment center. There's no place for children who are rescued. And that is on the rise as there's a, a big organization now that's a combination of all the different countries and IJM and local police all working together. But the children would be rescued and sometimes would spend the night or two in a jail while they look for spots for them. They felt like criminals. They would put them in a regular shelter who had no facility to manage the trauma that they'd been under. Um, and he said, we need to set up assessment centers. And so we started to explore what that might look like. And we had at that time, one of the missionary houses, a big house that was not being used and um, was being used for some other things, but right. no one was living there. And so they cleaned it out, they rehabbed it, set up big bunk rooms and it had a big living space. And uh, we uh, inaugurated Shechem House in September of 2018. And we got our first kids in 2019 and we can accommodate up to 15 at a time in there. And what they get is trauma-informed care which looks like psychotherapy. When I would have thought, how can kids be helped by this? Oh my goodness, young children are able to do therapy as they get upset, you know? And it's just amazing the success that it has. We have counselors on site all the time. They live in a home that's run like a family home. So it's not run like a, a facility. They do chores, they help learn to cook. Um, many are neglected, and so they come and they get loved on by wonderful Christian ladies who are our house parents. And they get um, taught skills on how to cook and clean and do yeah. uh, basic things. It's it's also the only uh, home that accepted uh, boys and girls, so sibling groups could be kept together when they were rescued which very often it's a sibling group thing, right? So that might be a grandparent or a parent, there's cousins and there's a group of kids that get rescued at a time. And so they can all come and, uh, and stay together and begin to process through their trauma. So at first they feel like they've just been kidnapped from their family and they're angry. And, and then as they begin to be educated on what's happened to them, and that it's not right and that we're here to help, then they begin to see that there's a future. 
honestly, with kids that come in when they first get there, you ask them, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they can't imagine it. Like they've never thought about what their future will hold um, because of their circumstances. And literally within a month or two, you ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, I want to be a police officer or a lawyer because, you know, they've had experiences in these things or a teacher or, you know, they they just they begin to see what the future can be. So Shechem Homes, uh, Shechem Children's Home is a Nazarene compassionate ministry. It's at uh, ncm.org slash Shechem. And anybody could get more information on that if they wanted to. But they, children stay around three it's, it's to five short, months. Classified as a short-term assessment home. And they get this really intensive care. The idea is to prepare them for their next steps, to get them started on the journey of, of health, healing. of holistic healing. They've done some research on us already and, and have found that children actually are, are, are doing better because of having that intensive time that they're able then to go. Sometimes they get placed. So the other part of what we do is we have a social worker who researches the family. So is there any family members who are safe? And so then that's where, that's our first choice, right? So there could be an aunt and uncle that live in another town and they're willing to take the children in. Here, family is so important. So oftentimes, um, if it's possible, we can find a family member. Foster care is not very prominent here. Um, There's we no government aid for any of that. So it's just on your own thing. Yeah. And we've, we've had some young children. We had a group of littles last year, a lot of them, about seven of them under the age of seven. And um, all of those kids got placed in different foster homes. But there's, you know, it's a hard fit to find foster homes that want to take in teenagers that have been sexually abused. So uh, the foster care thing has its limitations. But we're in partnership with several um, uh, long-term care facilities, Christian facilities that commit to education for the children. So escaping from poverty here is all about keeping kids in school so that they can graduate and even hopefully maybe go on then to college. The only way to get them to do that is to be in a, a place that will offer education. And so that's a priority when we're placing the children. 50% of the kids are under 12 years old. Um, so we get a lot of little kids and we get a lot of tweens, I would say is probably the, the most that we get, like from 10, 10 to 14, 15 is common. We've had a few older, 16 or 17. Um, we've had moms with babies, but it's, it's a blessing for Kevin and I. Um, you know, when you're a lay person and then you move into full-time ministry, your ministry begins to feel like work because it's kind of your job. So that was an adjustment for us. And for us, Shechem becomes really this ministry that we just, we just get to participate because we want to, right? So Kevin takes care of things at the facilities and we, of course, talk about them and try to fundraise as we can. I go grocery shopping every Saturday morning um, with the moms because they need someone who can drive, you know, drive them. That's a lot of kids and, to feed. 
So yeah, we buy a lot of groceries every Saturday morning and we do pizza parties and, you know, with COVID, we've had less ability to get in to see them. But now that I'm shopping every Monday, I have to carry the groceries in, right? So yeah. <laughs> I wear my mask and even though I'm vaccinated, you know, I understand we take precautions. So we try to be really careful with their health, but they, they are mostly just staying in. It's horrible, but it's beautiful, you know? It is. It's beautiful. The church has done stepping in. Yes. Willingness to step in and be a part of the solution. The first step is just being willing to know about it. Now, if we could do something about the first world countries and all of their (laughs) free time to do really bad things. They're working. That joint force is is working all ends of it. Yes. Yes. It's a hard one to to track down and we're, we're hoping to see an end to OSEC. Just share a little bit, like what, do, what does the, the church in the West, what do we need to know about, like what have you learned seeing the pandemic through Western eyes, but there in, in Asia, in the Asia era, area? I guess I'm just looking for how we can see things a little bit differently you know, especially if we if we're not able to get on a plane and do and do a work and witness trip, but maybe we can experience it a little bit through your eyes. So culturally, you know, we're different in that we are individualists. In the so West. in the West, we think of everything in terms of me. How does it affect me? What is my opinion on this? And the Philippines is a very collective community, so they see everything as us. So when their neighbors are hungry, it's as if they're all hungry and they share resources. The churches, the same way, reaching out to each other and supporting each other. Um, The same way, you know, it's the church people who reached out and fed many of the communities during the lockdown. I'm thankful for all of the freedoms that we have in the U.S. and I'm blessed by it. But I'm also... Uh, very appreciative of a people who stand together against a pandemic instead of uh, anger and arguing about everything, but participate in it together. And it's not that everybody necessarily agreed about everything, but they don't let that stand in between them. So I'm thankful for churches that reach out to their communities and have passionate ministry. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in the U.S., but they equip members to be a part of it. We see when we work at child uh, development centers, we see the, the young people who are running those centers or at least volunteering and participating there. Um, they are young people who have graduated and then gone to college. And now they have these great jobs. And as soon as they get off work, they come to the they, center. They to started attending in the CDCs. They were products of the CDCs. So they and graduated then, yeah. out. And then their ministries to the kids is real because they say, you know, my family, we live in that barangay the same as you do. You know, we, our families don't have finances either, but stay in school, you know, and they say, you can do it. You see me, I got through school and now I have a job and 
Um, things are different for me and their ministry there is just really meaningful. We see churches that encourage their young people on the pulpit so that young people begin to believe they have a voice and what they say matters to the church. We love the church here. Super fun. Compassionate ministry. I mean, compassion really is the Nazarene church and we see it. We see it really lived out. Almost every single church. It doesn't matter if it's a church of, you know, 15 or 20 people. We see it played out in their communities. And the status of the people in the church is kind of irrelevant in that. Even those churches and in areas that are poor, they're still the ones that are giving and helping their neighbors. Yeah, you know, when all these disasters happen, they just put the word out and... It starts being money donated from, you know, and it really doesn't matter the amount, right? Everybody's just working together. So, you know, some churches, it'll be, you know, 500 pesos, which is $10. And, and, but everybody and then other districts will, or churches will be able to give larger sums of money. They just work together. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are there and able to just be a shining light in this, especially during this pandemic time and the East and West holding hands for the kingdom. I think we're all ready for it to be over, right? We're, t- we're tired. Everyone's in the East tired. And the West. In the East and the West, everybody's tired and it's not the only thing, right? So the People- children were told they couldn't leave uh, from 20 years and below they had to stand inside in, the in their homes yeah. and 60 and above. But like they're still just in their homes. For, for over a year, the kids haven't been allowed out. So school is online. So as you could guess, many people, that's not even an option. And so they, they're doing some modular training. So especially in areas like we know of that have a CDC then they go out to each child's home and try to help them with the modules. So, because, you know, they may have parents who, who don't read or don't have an education that could help them with their children's homework. So the CDCs and churches are going out. And before the pandemic happened, there may have been one of these in the household. And that would be, so that would be their only online option. And that would be if they had, uh, paid for load on their phone because yeah. most people don't pay for much load. They can't afford to pay for much. It's been a very challenging time for everybody's the, tired. For the families. families are ready to get out. And it's the same in the U.S. You know, we don't know when it'll be over. And the Lord just says, well, don't keep looking to the future, right? I'm working in today. He is working today. That's one of the things we added when we were, when we finally were able to come back and gather together. And we've you know, just how about any last words of encouragement for lay people who have, who are sensing some kind of a call? God is calling them to step up and do something new out of the box or whatever. Um, I, I know for us, God probably tried many times to call us. And the moment we acknowledged that something was happening, he just started moving everything forward and led us. And we had questions about it. And he sent us people who encouraged us that we met on work and witness trips that said, oh yeah, I was a teacher and an accountant before we came. 
and they'd been on the field for 23 years and it made us feel like, oh, they're just regular people too, you know? And so uh, we're committed now, not ever to say we're just lay people because we really believe that God has gifted lay people to do a lot of work in the church. And so I think that that's true. In fact, God we believe that people. more of the work should be done by laity than by the pastorate. I mean, and you know this, just trying to minister to people when you're already depleted, you know, and so you're trying to encourage people who are afraid or who are, you know, their loved ones are dying and you can't do even the stuff you would normally do, like make a hospital visit. Yeah, it's been very, very challenging. Uh, Any growth that's happened, any good things that have happened has been nothing but the grace of God. Like you realize you are not relying on anything but God's, you know, God's provision and God's strength because you have nothing. And all the regular things are going on also. We definitely had a heart for our pastors here and at home. Well, I'm glad that you're doing well and I can see your faces and I hope that you got something you could use because I don't know how that will go. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? This is all good stuff. God is still calling people and he's built, you yeah. know, there's still inroads being made for the kingdom. There's definitely, there's definitely stuff here that they, people need to hear and uh, you just need to be reminded that, you know, God is still good. Uh, even in, in the middle of a pandemic, he's still good, right? Right. And he has purpose for us. So even the house mom, the housewife that's home with three kids, little kids right now, he has things for her to do every day. Yeah. Right. The business person who's at work in their job, like God has things for them to do every day. It's just growing that sensitivity to see what is it that you have for me today, God? I mean, I believe we could have served Listening God. and looking. It's, yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to, to learn how to do. I think we, it, it takes us all longer to do that than we should. To but, learn how to listen yeah. and hear what he's saying to us. Yeah, and we could be serving God in California in our jobs and our church and the ministry that we did before. But for us, God has just done so much in our lives. You know, that's... It's like, yes, we can all serve, but let's hear the thing God has for us. There may be a new thing that he wants to do that maybe you'll find exciting and new, you know. Or terrifying. Or terrifying. (laughs) That too. Because sometimes that's when it works the best is you're completely relying on God knowing you can't do it yourself. 